This is Changeling the Podcast. Changeling the podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host, Josh, and with this is your host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. Whisper, whisper, mutter, snarl. What are we talking about today, Puka? We are diving further into the dreaming than, well, maybe not than we've ever gone before, but into a different aspect of it as we explore denizens therein, in the mm-hmm. honest denizens of the dreaming. Mm-hmm. This is uh, another art house book written by Christopher Howard with Tad Mc. Divot? Not entirely sure what the with means in this, but honorary? Maybe um, we'd have to. It says assisting author as well in the acknowledgments. Yeah, so. I mean Christopher Howard, we see a bunch. Yeah, Tad I, or Todd? I don't know. I can't tell. I think Tad. Tad. Okay. Yep. Okay. Whoever laid out the credits typoed it. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah, Todd's written several RPG books. The only World of Darkness one I really found besides this one was a tradition book. Hollow Ones, which is a different sort of controversy by them not yeah. being a tradition. But It's also a special thanks to Dan Gen, and I'm like, Dan Gen, from the forums? Oh, yeah! Back in the day. I remember. Those were the days. Yep. It also says copyright in 1999, but then in the introduction, it talks about how this was released in 2000. So, what is time? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Do you want to dive in? Let's. So, we open with a short story. Kurexara Twilight, in which a Fearbolg warlord celebrates a victory over the recently reborn Naraka with his lady friend and court. Then they capture a Karamet, and a visiting moray stops by. All of these are the new varieties of fae we'll be encountering within the book, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. This introduction like, was actually readable for things that are supposed to be looking like they're handwritten. Yeah. I did take a banality check when they switch to two column column layout for no reason partway. But anyway, that's a that's, a that's how it goes in the twentieth edition sometimes too, I think. Like when you open the chapter, it's single column and then yeah. as you as you go through the main body pages, it turns into two columns so you can get these side column yeah. art pieces. But it's supposed to be it's like looking like it's like it's got this like burned parchment thing yeah. going on with the handwriting, and then like they switch to two column layout in your burned parchment with the anyway. <laughs> It's a, a bit jarring for me. But. In media studies, we call that hypermediacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are references in here as well to the Triumph Cask of Sorrows, which was a MacGuffin that never fully materialized in the metaplot. Mm-hmm. There was also an Easter egg with the mention of Asterlan from the Nobles the Shining Host short fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of references to other things that game. Yeah, this, <laughs> this whole book. We've talked before about the Chris Howard metaplot, and this is like the culmination. <laughs> Well, it wasn't the culmination. It was a, a major the pinnacle, piece. the the apex. Yeah. It's, it's the apexy as we got. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I'm here for it. Yep. I don't know that I'd want to read a whole novel in this writing style and tone, but mm-hmm. short fiction, it's fine, and I like that it lays out those various um, dark kin. Yeah, and they definitely are dark. Yeah, brutal what they're doing. But, uh... It's also nice to have the reminder that there are societies of garden variety kiths in the dreaming and the yep. what are they called the home fields the fields before that's it well and the fields behind yes yeah yeah 
all those all those fields and other places but we'll get more to the dreaming yeah it's interesting because i would even call this book a sequel to dreams and nightmares in a lot of yes. ways and we're gonna see a lot of that mm-hmm. although it's kind of like i know most of our listeners are almost all of them using c20 it's kind of funny how like the things in here it's like get reset back to dreams and nightmares mm. <laughs> by c20 yeah yeah we get more melissa run art yes which looks much better when fully inked mm-hmm then we have the introduction. Mm-hmm. It reads to me in this introduction like the writing was very much on the wall about the end of the line coming up. Even if they couldn't say it outright, I feel like there are little hints kind of in the text. Mm-hmm. But we're repeatedly told how much darker and deadlier the world is now for the Fae, supported by the prelude info. So this ties into the Week of Nightmares metaplot thing that had been going on for several months at this point. And the connection they give for Changeling here is that the death of Ravnos shook loose the chains that bound the Red Court mm-hmm. in the Dreaming. Well, there was a bunch of things. So yeah, there was the Nightmares part and the yeah, yeah. spirit nuke. The one kind of spirit nukes, not the other type of spirit nukes that they also reference. <laughs> yeah. Do we have to do Time of Thin Blood as like, or whatever book? At I, I don't think we do, no. <laughs> okay. I mean, it goes into it enough in chapter one here. So. Yeah. But yeah, that's the excuse for saying, oh yeah, the trods all kind of burst open again, but it's dark fae this time. Mm-hmm. We're told that the denizens are varieties of fae that never underwent the changeling way, but are as full-fledged kiths as the kithane. Many of them served the Fomorians in the War of the Trees. Yep. So yeah, that's what the book's about. I think it'll be pretty clear whether it fulfills that goal. <laughs> yeah, we get a lexicon that's like, I'm two minds about some of it's, you know, handy. And some of it's like, you're just renaming things we already had words for. <laughs> I do kind of like some of the... I liked Meridianus and Miririm. Tenebrous Realms? Yeah. Tessaraconta, which is just the Greek word for 40. But that's also the War of Trees. Yeah. Athene. Yeah, I, I don't write Athene a lot because I don't remember how to spell <laughs> it. Oh, the introduction is also where we get the first mentions of two of the several sort of lost kiths in this book. Mm-hmm. So we're given seven splats later on, but then they kind of mention several others throughout. So they talk about the spidery Aslinthi and the mm-hmm. troll-like Lords of the Mound, who were two yep. types of denizen. Now, the Lords of the Mound have supposed to have all died out, so it makes yes. sense we don't get them. I am a little bit annoyed that we don't get the spider-like Aslinthi in this book. It's like, well, you're using them. Uh, you don't need even enough to use them as an NPC, but okay. Perhaps we'll mention... Harbingers of Winter. Yes. So chapter one. Yeah, things fall apart. Yeah, good on them for including like that whole stanza of the Yates poem. This goes through the history of the Darkkin. This is another take on the War of Fomorians versus Tawatha Danon. With and like all of them, I think you have to treat this as like another narrative that like some people believe in character, not a yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost biblical in a sense. Like it's very in the beginning there was darkness kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And they talk about Fimble Winter. Which, if I remember my Norse myth correctly, is like the winter that comes after Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if the implication is like a cycle here. Like, yeah, it's endless winter. It's at the beginning and the end. But meh. Yeah. When the Fomorians ruled as these colossal monstrosities and the Fyrbolg, the eldest of their servants. I really like the Fyrbolg as the she analog that kind of goes through here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. The book also kind of points to the important thing is balance 
Like mm-hmm. there always has to be some dark and there always has to be some light, which I think is an interesting uh, thing to call out. Mm-hmm. The rest of this early section basically just explores that metaphysical relationship between humanity's dreams and the shapes of the Fae, which we've kind of seen hinted before. And it's a little more explicitly spelled out here. Like they talk about Boggins and Fua coming from the dreams of hearth and home, Naraka and Atrai being corrupted into demons. So that, that give and take relationship between the dreaming and the autumn world. Yep. At some point they also call the autumn world, the source of all things or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, Awesome. But yeah, it does have a very Hobbian view of things, like even more so than you get more mm. of how brutal and nasty things were. But that's yeah. For at least well, we get into some of the, the, the confusion they have about dark kin and stuff where they talk about these are the equivalent to Fomorians, what the Kithane are, the Tuatha Dunan. Quite yeah. a few of the Kiths aren't, but anyway, we'll get to that. This is definitely not the oh, they were created by the Fomorians or created by the Tuatha. They're different fae that happened to pick political side yeah 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 and i think they even hint i can't remember it's here somewhere else hint that there were actually some red caps that chose the fomorian banner and there was yeah so it wasn't even like entire kiss but oh and they also do have the whole cycle celtic cycle like the fear bulk were there before the fomorians showed up so then we get the sundering another perspective on the sundering in this case the prodigals get some of the blame for disentangling the human world from the fae world but also like the two camps of the Tuatha and the Fomorians, quite separate from Sili and Unsili, it points out, being split over how to deal with humanity. I was a little confused by the Tuatha and Changeling opinion where they say they want to stay the course in the waking world. But then they talk about how the Tuatha wanted to follow what they call the fading path, which is like the very Tolkien elf slow fade away into the West kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, but did the Changelings want that? Like... It's an interesting thing to think about. Before the shattering, before they didn't have a choice and they had to stay on Earth, did the Fae living primarily on Earth think like, oh, eventually I'll let myself fade into the dreaming again? Yeah. The, the, I think of it as what they were going for here is the Tuaha or the She's She. Yeah. So you have what happened with the shattering, but the sunderings where the Tuaha did that. So I guess... Maybe we'll have another resurgence. Actually, that yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe when the Fomorians finally wake up, the Tuatha will return. See, time yeah. of judgment, chapter whatever. Yeah, and I, I get a little bit confused about all these fights. Yeah, between who was around when for what, and then we get into the the War of the Trees, and it gets even more confusing. Mm-hmm. The shattering came early for the Dark Kin. I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> like. I guess the sense that for them, they were bound into the dreaming. So, yeah, spoiler, the Tuatha win the War of the Trees, imprisoned the Fomorians. We've talked about this before. And as part of that, they created the Silver Path, which is mm-hmm. also called the Silver Band for the Darkkin because they can't walk on trods or go through gates that are protected by the Silver mm-hmm. Path. They're the things that lurk off the path in the darkness, the tenebrous realms. Yep. So for them... It was almost like an exile, an enforced shattering, even though the autumn world and the dreaming were still contacting each other in a large way at that point. They they were forbidden. Yeah. Yeah. They were fully sundered while the rest of the world was still slowly going Mm -hmm. through it. And the period since then, they called the Miririm, which I don't know what that's from, but I like it. And once the Fomorians were imprisoned, 
they use the word etienne to refer to the different kiths of the dark kin. I'm just going to say kiths probably, even if they don't like it. So the different kits kind of went their own way, established their little kingdoms in the dreaming, etc. And that, I guess, brings us to the shattering. Yeah. One thing here, like, is there any mention of any Galane besides, like, this book does talk about the Alien at one point. There are the Atheen, there's the Kithane. It's like, that's all of them. Oh, and there's uh, an anime, but there's no, like... Selkies or Nunyi or <laughs> Xian. Yeah, or any... Yeah, it's kind of interesting... Yeah. In the introduction, there's reference to other books that helped with the creation of this one. And it's Changeling 2nd Edition, Nobles the Shining Host, Book of Houses 2, Inanime, Dreams and Nightmares, Time of Thin Blood. And I'm wondering if it's only from those books. Because mm-hmm. I can see this as as the product of the material in there, none of which have those other Galen. Yep. So, perhaps. Anyway, um... We get up to the Shattering. There were some of the kits that were not banned from Earth. So the Moray, who are the Fates, mm-hmm. and the Karamet, who are dead, and we'll get to that later. And then, conflictingly, the Aunids, the Muses, because it's not part yeah. of the as they were and that, they weren't. Yeah, that, that's one thing. Like, I do like lots of this book. But there, I do have mm-hmm. lots of criticisms, too. And there's sort of two kinds of criticisms. There's, like, how this book fits into the rest of Changeling. Mm. And there's how this book's a little bit internally inconsistent in terms of, yeah. and that's one of them. They're like, okay, here's the Dark King. They serve the Fomorians, except for, you know, almost half of them that we're listing. Ordinarily, I would say, oh, it's inexcusable. But since there were two authors who had uncertain yeah. relationships to the material, I'm going to give it a pass and yeah. come down on the side of the one that makes the most sense. Yeah, I'm not trying to blame anybody. I'm just saying, like, yeah. how it fits. What I'm really getting into is, like, there are things you would have to rewrite sort of this yeah, to yeah, use yeah. it. But that's also true for a lot of... Yeah, but the way you have to do it, the internal inconsistency is it's just sort of a weird... It felt like the, there was an outline and then they continued in the book and they didn't update things. Yeah. Again, welcome to Changeling the Dream. Yep. <laughs> so the Shattering, even though it slammed shut the gates, there are notes about how the Atri were able to kind of pop through during the plague. So there are these Tararongs, which are little eruptions of dark glamour mm-hmm. where... Darkkin through the ages have been able to surf their way into the autumn world. And especially as banality weakened the silver path in the interregnum, they became more of a threat in the dreaming so that when the she returned during the resurgence, they were lurking there to attack. These are like the fell beasts that we talked yeah. about with House Bravo. It's kind of funny, even though the big sort of event in July 1999 was retconned in C20, it's like this concept still showed up in C20 of the yeah. Evanescence and stuff and like how there were previous ones. So it's like that that is here still. So Yeah. Putting aside whether or not the Evanescence as presented in C20 is a better meta plot option, perhaps we can very briefly summarize the Time of Thin Blood, Week of Nightmares stuff that's mm-hmm. uh, referred to here. Yep. Okay, so for anyone who hasn't played Vampire, there's a clan called the Ravnos. There's lots of problems with them, but one of their elements that's less problematic is that they have the power called chemistry, where they can create illusions. Mm-hmm. Changeling later on said that this was the result of an ancient progenitor of their line making a bargain with the Fae to gain the power to bring extrusions of the dreaming into the world. Yeah. And, and even crossover rules have chemistry kind of like manipulating mm-hmm. chimera and making mortals be able to perceive them as illusions, essentially. Yeah. yeah. So in the revised edition of Vampire, 
they introduced this metaplot element where the founder of the Ravnos, their antediluvian, woke from his millennia-old sleep, very hungry, very angry, and laying waste across a large swath of South Asia. He was destroyed by a coalition of various supernatural types, and with his death, a number of things happened. First, his entire bloodline went nuts for a few days and all ate each other. Well, it's the week of nightmares from all that. It's the week of nightmares for the entire world. The hunters arrived in the middle of that. But perhaps most importantly for the content of this book, his death was in part due to technocratic nuclear devices that were detonated, which apparently set off a massive firestorm through the dreaming. Mm -hmm. Which is separate from around the same time of an entirely different nuclear device, which is referenced in this book. Nuclear devices set up in the underworld, which ravaged the underworld even worse. So those are unrelated nuclear devices that destroyed various spirit worlds. Yeah. In any case, it scorched the Dreaming, it scorched some of the denizens who lived there, and allowed a number of them to flood back towards Earth as it opened those dark paths, or whatever they're called. Twilight robes, that's it. Mm -hmm. I really like the line in here where it says, Humanity lies before the returning Fae in all its neon splendor, and they're like moths to the flame being Mm -hmm. drawn back. So that's the short but dense history of the Darkkin that we get. Chapter two, The Winds of Change. With some ice-cold fiction at the start. Mm-hmm. This is the geography chapter. Yes, this is the geography of the dreaming. This is highlighting, and yes, if you were to try to use this book, even with C20, but definitely without C20, you would need a copy of Dreams and Nightmares. Also, not make much sense at all. Yeah. Because um, it heavily likes on various parts of the dreaming. Uh, I just talked to the earlier mentioned Tenobris Realms, which are the bits you can't get to by the Silver Path, and that's why the denizens live there, or at least the ones who don't handle the Silver Path. And it says there's different types of trods, not protected by what's called the Twilight Road. Some Twilight Roads are paths of Baylor, but there's other kinds too that they're really described. And there are very few in the Near Dreaming, very few unsilvered roads. Mm-hmm. So I bet there were some in Bangladesh before. Yes. Oh, yeah, so there's some in the Near Dreaming that go to deeper, but not... Yeah, but very few that go to Earth. Mm-hmm. The Pass of Balor we've seen before, but just a brief review. There are the Black Ones that ferry the human souls displaced by she, which I don't think we've ever gotten that as one of the things that happens on it before. Yeah, this was revealed in this book. I think. <laughs> then the Green go to the Middle Umbra, where the werewolves hang out, and the Gold goes to the Kingdom of Dawn, or Fate for the Moray, which theoretically is also the High Umbra. Mm-hmm. There's some mechanics for what happens to denizens on the Silver Path, not good news. Yeah. yeah. Per turn, you lose a point of glamour. Once that's out, you lose health levels every turn. And it costs glamour if you try to attack someone on it. Yep. Which is actually, I like having that instead of like a flat out man, because it's like, well, you're on the silver path. You're safer. Yeah. But if something's attacking you, it might be worth it for it to attack you still. Something very determined can still make a go of it. Yep. Yeah. But that's... That's part of why their freedom of movement earthward is so Mm -hmm. restricted. Yeah, you can't really use it for travel, but maybe for a brief attack. And even if they do get through to Earth, we get a sidebar on the Meridianus, which it calls the psychic undertow. Mm -hmm. Chris Howard really knows how to turn a phrase sometimes, I must say. But it's an ancient defense left by the Toha to enforce the Silver Ban. And it basically sounds like the Avatar Storm, 
Yes. Trying to cross back over into the Dreaming Will. It predates, I think, the whole it Avatar does. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as soon as they get two points of banality for being on Earth, then they're fine. Mm-hmm. You go through the near Dreaming first. I liked how this sort of history was thought out a bit with this. So, like, they talk about how the near Dreaming was dominated by the Adin until, during the resurgence, the she rewidened the Silver Paths, mm-hmm. uh, which allowed... Kithane to come settle again and everything. And it makes sense because if the commoners were cut off from the dreaming for 600 years and the she were mostly holed up in Arcadia, like maybe they roved through once in a while, then the denizens could be like, okay, yeah, we'll just set up shop here. Yeah. There were still some places like the fields behind and stuff that I think were. Yeah. But it also is interesting for your, if you ever run an interregnum game and your players get into the dreaming, it's not even as, as safe as it is in in changing the dreaming yeah. post-resurgence. Like that. Food for thought. Mm-hmm. One thing I wish from an organizational perspective, they broke out the Tenebrous Realms versus the things already covered in Dreams and Nightmares. But mm, Yeah, that would be... From, from our perspective, it would be handy. But... Although I'd also say that you could just assume all of these are now off the Silver Path, given... They don't really give details about how much the death of Ravana slash Evanescence shattered the Silver Path. There is still some Silver Path, though. They don't say it's all yeah. gone. Yeah. Well, I just mean you could make the argument that any of these realms is now off. Wait, was the Silver Path damaged? Or was it the other roads got way more opened? Uh, I think it's probably some of both. Okay. Maybe not damaged. Yeah. The other roads certainly got open, though, yes. So you have the Mists... Separate from the Meridian, that's where you get hit with the memory issues of going into and out of the Dreaming. But it's also a place, and some denizens and other beings that don't like Cathane might wait for you there. Yeah. And you'd be a little bit confused for a bit. Something bit me. Mm-hmm. Then we have the fields before, which are the Boggan, Puka, etc. Yeah. villages that we saw in Dreams and Nightmares. They have it's not been good blasted yeah. by the Winking Nightmares. So now there are Red Cap Raiders coming in, Dark Chimera, etc. Mm-hmm. There's, can you say the next one? <laughs> Maharaura. Okay. Yeah, this is the near dreaming. It says Northern India. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Bangladesh. In, in the week of nightmares, it's supposed to be Bangladesh. Yeah, it sounded cool. It's like the one of the coolest new places, and they just blasted it all with nukes and stuff. Yep. The home of the Naraka. Mm-hmm. I love the descriptions, though. I mean, so just a brief excerpt. The Samverto or Doomsday Cloud vents its fiery ash-laden anger upon the land. Hung heavy with fragmented parasims and solomons, it vomits forth lightning, black rain, and tar-like hailstones. Mm-hmm. A great red and black fiery vortex has appeared in the sky and seeks to gather the entire realm into its great mouth. Some say it leads to a realm called the Lemniscate. At night, the vortex turns blue, and great spider-like phantoms ride the howling air trods which surround it, attacking those foolish enough to be outdoors, dragging their screaming victims to an unknown fate. That's just opportunity after opportunity. Well, I also like, I just realized, it's a horribly destroyed part of the dreaming that's not banal. Yeah. Like, it's not about banality. It's about fury and fire and scary, raging things. By contrast, we have the Blotkeldur, which is just kind of a marshland where the White Court once lived. Mm -hmm. Is this supposed to be like a bunch of marsh realms all over the place? Because it's still near dreaming, right? The dreaming has one marsh. Then there's the Middle March, which are the foothills to the Splintered Mountains. Mm-hmm. They're populated by Fomorigan-aligned red caps who were rejected from Earth. 
and the Acheron group of Firbolg and their jeweled crags. So if you were to make these red caps, would you like make them as denizens and have like three aria and I guess so. I mean, we don't really get conclusive answers to that in the book, but I really like the idea of doing that. Yeah. We'll get to Arya in the next chapter. <laughs> and then we get the Wild Weir. It's formerly Arcadian that denizens have taken over, but now House Elanud's taking back. And there's another, there's several dark kin in there, including subspecies of um, Fearbulg. Which are from the ancient Iron Smiths. Yep. And there's various Fuoths. And then some of them are independent and some of them are siding with the white court. I love how they kind of describe these Fearbulg as being like proto-democratic, yep. you know, warlords living in filth, basically. And it just makes me think of Holy Grail with like, <laughs> we're the anarcho-syndicalists. Yeah. And they have a new denizen here called the Obda. Also, no stats or deeper description. So that's great. Then we move into the Far Dreaming, which mm-hmm. is where most of the denizens live. Most of the ones that live there have downplayed or forgotten Earth, hence their shock when the storms rolled forth from it in 1999. Yep. We have the fields behind, like the other fields not doing so great, although there's a seely-minded female Fearbog Knight. I love her. This is one of those, like, was this, did, did they do playtesting? Was this somebody's character? Absolutely. Yeah. There's the Bullydales, which, again, we saw in Dreams and Nightmares. The Redcaps who live there are the ones who have started raiding out into the fields. Mm-hmm. There's also Swamp Druids. I don't know if that's another Adine. Yeah, maybe. All the Naraka were showing up there, too. Yeah. And then we have some sad news for Quawks and Mucks. No. It's like the scouring of the Shire. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it's been nasty attacked. The Winter Weir is the silent and frozen forest home of the Fuas. Mm-hmm. Currently, the Winter Court is reawakening there. I picture there's like one light post in there. <laughs> yes. And another kith, the Morosco, Frost Servants. And an individual called the Ketlet, which sounds like a not a kith, but just a one-off. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's packs of feral wolf puka. That too. Like, are they still saying puns and stuff while they're like ripping people apart in a pack mm-hmm. tactics it's, anyway it would be interesting if because all forests in the dreaming are part of the one forest and yeah. and the arcadian gateway realm in the middle umbra has a path of Belor. maybe those feral wolf puka are werewolves who got through into the dreaming and went mm-hmm. mad maybe uh-huh. anyway there's other stuff in the dreams and nightmares yep <laughs> other wolves oh i cannot kurexara in the splintered mountains. The quintessential dreaming battlefield where generals called the five great beasts do constant battle for the triumph cask of sorrows. Yep. But also uh, the red courts reawakening here mm-hmm. and the death of Ravana also scorched this plane. I like that. They're just sort of these fear war machines scattered all around as well. Yeah. And the, actually the intro fiction's like, we don't know how to use most of these anymore, but yeah, a lot of these descriptions, there's a lot of politics and plot that you have to kind of be all in on to use them effectively, especially this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is one of those like, I don't I can't point to why, but it just doesn't interest me very much. This mm-hmm. uh, there's also thunder giants there. Then uh, the deep dreaming rarely has denizens, but it does include the oniric realms. There's reference to this axle, which I guess is supposed to be like the axis mundi of the dreaming with the realm of dawn, fate at the top. So it's this 
paradise centered around Yggdrasil, the world tree, on an mm-hmm. island in the Silver Sea. Very difficult to get to unless you're an avatar of fate. It's very Nordically beautiful, the way it's described. The Norns live there. Yep, yeah, Arcadia is one of the... There's nine minor Ornaric realm and three major ones, and Arcadia is one of the major ones. The other two being night and silence of the major ones. Yes. A nice tip of the hat to Midsummer Night's Dream. Kingdom of Dawn? Dawn? I can't pronounce it. Dawn. Yes. Fate. Yeah. If you're going to use the Realm of Dawn, then that's going to be quite a quest. Mm -hmm. I like it as the center of an entire quest story. It's like interesting. It's like, oh yeah, it's like you you have like when the Moray mixed in a changeling group and the Cathane are like, yeah, Arcadia is our home. Moray's like, no, actually, this other place is mine. (laughs) Then the Autumn World. Yep. Seen as a kind of a dark fate place to go by many of the dreaming residents. Well, it's a place where it's like horrible, crushing banality, but also like amazing, weird glamour. And yeah, it's just, it, I just love It's like, yeah, we're from the dreaming. We're used to the dreaming. Oh my God, the autumn world. What is this place? This is nuts. This is all very confusing and exoticized. <laughs> There's a very cool description where it says, while a denizen may be far more powerful in the high branches of the far dreaming, the roots of the tree hold the true source of their power. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So something that's kind of stated a few times through the book as part of the theme of the game and part of the horror of the game is that denizen characters are just discovering that they're essentially figments of mortal imagination. And that grappling with that one possible outcome is to realize hey if i go to earth and manipulate some of those dreams maybe i can do right by myself that kind of sounds pretty cool but yes they they have a difficult time getting there Mm -hmm. either through the green paths or twilight road trods and once they do get there it's not easier (laughs) yeah to survive as a creature of pure dream in the autumn world is not easy there are three primary methods that they use. I don't think we need to go into all the mechanics because they are really long. No, but one of the okay, phantom form, I don't like it because it's not how the chimera work. Like it's yeah, it, when it's called described as you're like an immaterial spirit that can move through walls and stuff. And I'm like, why are they like that? But like a dragon from the dreamings, like a not like that at all. I think for two reasons. One is that this is second edition and the exact capabilities. Or- no, but this is the first time it ever described anything like that moving through walls and stuff. Well, it's- I never had a problem with Chimera moving through walls. No, oh, okay. that's kind of, and I think that second edition didn't really specify one way or the other. Mm. C twenty kind of takes a firmer position. Okay, um, but I think the other thing is just that that points to they're a little more durable than an average or even above average chimera mm-hmm. like they have a little bit more substance to them metaphysically yeah. and it is not like we do not get rules in any edition for like it says chimera don't survive easily in the autumn world but it doesn't really give system this is at least a system so yeah where you're getting it's like every 12 hours you're sort of rolling stuff and potentially getting banality i think this might be like the first time that you roll glamour to avoid banality in change like what's this and then they can possess people. Yeah, It's called simple possession. That's a very rough possession. Or they can possess sleeping people, which is more effective. Yeah. Slip right in. Mm-hmm. There are some that have bodies called the evanescent. Either they 
were trapped or hid on Earth at some point as spies or visitors or sleeper agents. Some of them just liked being fleshy and stayed there. And very few actually went through the Changeling way. But not non-zero. Like, it's not zero. Yeah. So there are some reincarnating Atien out there. Changeling Atien. Yeah. And some stayed after the War of Trees. Others got through later in Atari Rom. Others have just arrived. We get more mechanics about glamour and banality. So as creatures of pure glamour, they're basically immune to bedlam and shed banality more quickly, but they get trapped in the autumn world pretty easily. Mm -hmm. They do have a slight bit of banality in them because, as the book points out, pure glamour without banality is nothing but chaotic creative energy. So Mm -hmm. They talk about ways of getting glamour, which are sort of the same. Reaping, was reaping invented here? I think, yes, this is where reaping was first created. Frightening someone to death for glamour. Mm Mm-hmm. And that shows up in C20, but yeah. It points out that musing is tougher, mm-hmm. but rapture is easier. Which is, which is funny, because one of them are literally called muses. But... Yeah. <laughs> wah, wah. Well, don't they have like a, they don't have that yeah. penalty or whatever. So. Yeah. We get notes on the dream war. It says the human subconscious is the arena in which they, the denizens, battle to determine the nature of reality. And it also says they kind of see humans as batteries, matrix style. But makes sense. Yeah. And uh, dream traps. They can get caught in dreams. Yep. I wish there were mechanics for that. Yeah. I also wish, like, you'd have to worry about that for, like, your chimerical companion. Got stuck mm. in someone's dream. You have to get him out. Yep. And they get into details about REM and non-REM sleep. Yeah. I can't imagine in what context I would need to use that, but I really hope I find out someday. Yeah. You're like, okay, so if you're in REM sleep, your banality drops by this much, but you're non-REM yeah, like... sleep, it drops by this much. Like, okay, that's... <laughs> at some point we'll need to have this information yep anyway that's chapter two uh, there's like 50 ideas a minute here and i feel like one has to really elect to use them all mm-hmm. but i think the groundwork for a chronicle is already being laid by yeah. like there's a suggestion about deciding how earthbound you want your denizen game to be and it really gives you lots of modular options for setting that precisely yeah and i like that for me, there's a lot of starting points for things I would house rule and change, but mm. at least it's a starting point. Like, it's not a... Yeah. I, I can look at each thing and be like, well, I like that. And this other one, I'm like, mm, no, but it gives me an idea yeah. what I do like instead. I say this as someone who's written these before. They do feel like unplay-tested mechanics in a lot of ways. Yeah, I'm betting they are unplay-tested given the... Yeah. I mean, even beforehand, I'm not sure how much playtesting had, but like in the Arkansas yeah. days, I can't imagine there's any really... Yeah. So then, uh, chapter three, the sleep of reason produces monsters. Splats. Yeah. <laughs> I got some nitpicky notes at this point for some reason. <laughs> and there's things like, how does aging work? I don't understand. And Well, it's helpful to know that they live for hundreds of years in the dreaming before being reincarnated. Are they reincarnated? It says the next life cycle. I'm not really sure. Okay, now they have. Okay, that makes more sense. But sometimes they're not. Sometimes they live a lot longer. Yeah. The important and relevant part here is the aria, I think. Yeah. Which replaces seeming and court. Mm-hmm. Although they do still have legacies, which is also a little confusing. But uh, but I like it, so. Mm-hmm. So you get three of them. Yes. And I keep wondering, like, is this supposed to be tied to the three Fomorian courts? It doesn't say, but... I think it's tied to id, ego, and super ego. Yeah, okay. <laughs> sort of tied to I'm not sure if it, which one's the white court, which one's the red court, which yeah. one's the green court, but... I mean, if I had to say, it would be the red, white, green, probably. Yep. So we have the three Aria. These are all Greek, aren't they? Yeah. 
There's an interesting weird mix of different languages used in this. That's... Lots of Greek, lots of Slavic, lots of Sanskrit, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so there's the Dionii, which are the instinctive, aggressive impulses, the id, and it's the natural state for many denizens. The Araminae, which is the rational, self-focused, pragmatic, constructive self. And the Apoliae, the higher superego that calls to a higher purpose, which isn't necessarily a good or moral one. It's just their purpose as Darkkin. And I think if I understand their mechanics correctly, you can switch between them. Does it change your glamour and willpower every time? It does. Yeah. yeah. They have a whole sidebar explaining it in context because, oh boy, is that needed. Yeah. Again, the mechanics are probably way too complicated to go through here. But... Yeah. And then trying to use that with the C20 imbalance, which just really hurt my head. But What I like, though, is that they become the filter through which you look at the behavior of each splat. Like as yeah. each one of these moves through different aria, they behave slightly differently and look mm-hmm. different. And it also, because you assign a legacy to each one, it gives you the option of filtering legacies through something besides Sealy Unsealy. Yeah. And it also affects your birthrights too, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then there's this bit on belief and governance, saying that the uh, different splats have their own cultures and religions and conflicts. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. I do like the legacy. Like, I personally like that's how I house rule my changeling games with legacy and court. Hmm. So then the splats. Yeah. A lot of this is very much like typical Kith write ups. But one thing that keeps. I, I didn't come across explaining why. They each get a choice of realm affinity. Yeah. I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, sure. I just it never. Sorry, I don't sorry. think it even tells you that. It just says, like. It just puts it, yeah. Yeah. So we have the Aw Cherry, which are. They scourge the planet with disease. I actually took notes of like which ones are from various cultures. So like the Acheri are supposed to be from all over the place. Like they're like one of those universal kits of disease. The name is from India, but then they have this list of alternative names from other yeah. cultures. I don't know the accuracy of the parallels for all of them, but I like the mm-hmm. effort to show that global. I figured the way kits work in Changeling, it's about as accurate for any culture as any other, yeah. probably. So the Atrei are, they weed out the weak to let the strong flourish, and they're widely loathed for their role. They're also deeply misanthropic. They're the evil ones of all these. They're like just flat out evil of all the denizens we get here. With Vampire, there's a lot of Setite Ravnos parallels. It's like they're they're both corruptors and corruptible, because mm-hmm. they're very susceptible to temptation. Yeah, their affinities are actor or fae. They can generate plague nervosa. From their shadow. And tempt people. Yep. But then they also are easily tempted, and they can't affect anyone with their birthrights who's wearing red. The Aonids, who are the Muses. It does feel a little redundant to have a kith that are the Muses, considering we have Musing. But, yep. all right. But they're also sometimes Furies, I think. That's true, yeah. Toreador vibes. Yep. The one annoying thing about it is, I don't like kiths that just look human, and they just look human. Yeah. They are very attached to their dreamers, but can be cruel in love. Mm-hmm. They're experts on culture who must inspire others. And they can go from hedonism to high philosophy. You're like, you know, I want to play a Leonhan or a Fiona, but I don't want to be a noble <laughs> or a she. Here you go. Yeah. Realm affinities are actor or scene. They get a major social boost for their birthright and can't botch persuasion or performance. And here's where it says they're not affected by the silver ban, even though earlier in the book they were. And they get a, like a super ravaging. Using lust. 
yep. or seduction. But they can't handle being upstaged by someone in a competition. Like, say, I don't know, somebody's talking about who's prettier and there's some golden apples or something on the line. I think it is focused on artistic talents. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they talk about how House Fiona is particularly easy to seduce. I like that. <laughs> okay, anyway, Fjordbog. Yes. Woo, Irish mythology. So in the Irish Book of Invasions, the Fjordbog were the ones who preceded the arrival of the uh, Tuatha. Yep. These are the most alternate to she for me. Like, yep. you want to have some ideas with she, but there's things about the she that rub you the wrong way, especially like on Seelie's side. I especially like how these are the nobles who have fallen on hard times. Yep. You know, like these are nobles who feel like they're at rock bottom and they're about to rise yep. again. And that's something we don't often see with the she. So I still have other bits where they sort of make fun of House Baylor. Yeah. They're chaos bringers with a love of wilderness. They're passionate and they have antlers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can alter the... Fearless. Fearless. Yeah, that's kind of powerful-ish, maybe. It's, it's confusing. Something yeah. that got nerfed in C20, and I think it's important to point out here, is that by burning glamour, they can actually cause these random chaotic changes in the autumn world. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of why they have one birthright and two frailties, which is otherwise a choice that's like, what? Yeah. They have a dietary requirement, and they have to be sacrificed to in order to gain glamour. Then the Fua. Mm-hmm. It says to pronounce it Fu-Oth. But I think it's four. Yeah, these are for the ones you're like, okay, you, you, you at first were drawn to Puka because they're animal people, but then nothing about the Puka thing actually made you go, oh, I want to do that. There you go. Yeah. I think of them as like feral satyrs. Yeah, that too. Or maybe, yeah, they're feral satyrs slash thallian satyrs, but like other animals potentially. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not all goat-legged. They can talk to animals. And they have super athletics like the satyrs. Yep. Plus natural weapons. And they have, they're in a way more on malice than the satyrs in terms of. They have a frenzy mechanic. Yep. I mean, I think it's almost exactly the vampire frenzy mechanic. So there we go. Where The werewolves and the other shapeshifters aren't puka, they're fuach. Yeah, that could be. Then we have the ketamet who are enchanted humans, usually dreamers or kinane, brought into the dreaming at the moment of their death to serve the insert purpose here. Mm-hmm. I think mostly messengers and ferrying yeah. the souls of those displaced by yeah. the sheep, But These are like neat, but these obviously work for the Tuatha. Why are they? Mm-hmm. Maybe they are kind of neutral, some of them, at least as a kid. Oh, yeah. So actually, yes, Keremet and More are declared neutral in the conflict. Yep. Yeah. Both too important. Mm-hmm. So the Karamet can go to the underworld on the Black Paths of Balor, as well as the Silver Path. They have ferocious will as dead people, because they're like emotionless and dutiful, so they have super will. They have the frailty, the Pact of Dagda, and I don't really understand. It's like it keeps them to their word when sworn by this pact. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what that means. Like, does someone say, I swear on the Pact of Dagda? I'm not really sure what that yeah, I think it is a specific note. Yeah, it basically got some wording on it in the big blank space we get in this page. Yeah. <laughs> and also they're sad and they just want to feel. But that changes. That's one of the things that changes heavily depending on their um, yeah. aria. Then there's the Morai, the oracles and guardians of humanity. Yep. I like these ones. Are they all women? I'm a little bit... Yes, I believe so. They're kind of the classic triple 
maiden mother crone as they move through their areas. And this is like heavily both Greek and Norse when they go through stuff about them. Yeah. I like that it calls them the interpreters, not servants of fate. They follow the call of destiny. They are also protective of their dreamers. They're mostly solitary. And there's a reference to them being cursed for lying about a prophecy and thereby being banished from the autumn world. But Mm. I don't know that we get any additional info on that. So they can see scraps of people's futures. There's a curse on anyone who tries to harm them or interfere with their role. And they're highly superstitious. The curse thing is pretty awesome. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then we get the Naraka. Because of the explosion, they don't, pretty much none of them remember who they are. Mm -hmm. Well, this is from Bangladesh here and they all look like resemble kali the hindu goddess of destruction which moving on uh as a mythological reference narakas are both the names for hells in hinduism and buddhism as well as sometimes the denizens who live there hmm. so it's okay. demon essentially yep but yeah i mean people had pointed to previously the lack of representation of south asia and it is a little bit like, oh, so this is what we get. Well, this and, and partially the plague bearers. Yeah. Know. Yeah, no, I mean, this this book. Yep. Anyway, the Naraka. I wish there were more about Naraka who see their state, their current situation as an opportunity in the sense of like, oh, yeah, we've forgotten everything. But this yeah. is our chance to decide who we are. That kind of attitude. Yeah, the, the whole kit's just like, you took the amnesia flaw and specifically you want to try to undo it. Right. It says they embrace anarchy and nihilism. Like, that's their reaction to what they've been through. I don't know. It's just a little bit. But they're chaotic embodiments of destruction who hate human weakness. And they get some powerful combat abilities. And yeah. Fire breathing. They're vulnerable to music. And they can only possess Hindu people. Even though Bangladesh is largely not Hindu. But Yeah. Anyway. But those are the splats. Chapter 4. Building the Perfect Beast. Mostly the same as second edition rules. <laughs> What did you think about the ability limitations? I'm I'm fine with it. I mean, it makes enough sense. Yeah. And the merit is cheap enough that by buying it to open up the rest of those yeah. abilities, I think that's fine. And it doesn't have the problem that the Nunahi one did, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there are new knowledges, which are autumn lore, changeling lore, and denizen lore. Pretty straightforward. I don't like super specific lores, but I know that's... No, me neither. <laughs> I think this this did make me... I take a note. Should we have a languages in the dreaming as a full episode topic? Oh, next season. Next yeah. season. But you have autumn lore, which explicitly is covered up by a three-point merit. Yeah. Means you don't need it anymore. Or something. Anyway. But autumn lore also knows human languages, I think. Uh, oh, it's whatever part of the waking world a denizen first wakes up in. That's... Yeah, but then I think if you get a certain... If you get four in it... Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We get merits and flaws. Yep. The merits, I guess we're okay. I think um, the flaws, I would be less inclined to use. Obviously, Evanescent and Human Shell are the most directly useful ones because they allow you to have a game on Earth. Yeah. But... We get a paragraph. I do not like the paragraph under merits and flaws where it has nothing to do with Dennis Dream. It's just yeah. it's r- ranting about min-maxing. I'm like, some of <laughs> opinions. I like change area. Aria. I think it would take that with a character. Bro. Yeah, I suppose. Spending willpower, though, is always dicey. And then you can pick your legacy. (laughs) (laughs) Fair. We get the new background of Destiny, which I kind of wish they had just used the mage version, like, 
to get yeah. some kind of mechanical benefit. But Yeah, this is like level one. You achieve at least one important quest. I'm like, if this background could prevent scheduling conflicts from terminating Chronicle, I will. Yeah. And then we have their version of title. And I like that we get a glimpse into some of the other leadership structures that they have. Yeah, this is very much how C20 title works. So. Yeah. I'm surprised with reading this how many things were sort of like a preview of C20 almost. Like. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I assume Chris Howard was involved in its creation. Oh, banality magnet. I am annoyed at the implication that specifically beer is banal, but... <laughs> I didn't really need the sidebar on cast systems. Um, yeah. Oh, my other note was, why was the blackmail flaw in there? Because it has nothing to do with it. Like, it even talks about like somebody's going to... That's what I mean. These, these flaws <laughs> I'm like indifferent to for the most part. Some of them were very denizen-specific, but like blackmailed is like... Anybody could take that. Like, it, it doesn't I even... There's nothing stopping you from taking it as a non-denizen. Yeah, but it's like, you have to, like, pay lots of money. I'm like, what? Yeah. So then, uh, the three arts. Yeah. There's the Autumn Way, which is basically, like, discount changeling way. The art. Yeah. Um, I thought Autumn Way 5 was kind of cool. Where you can... Yeah, so Autumn Way 5 is equivalent to Chemistry 5. Which yep. the Ravnos can do. But the other powers are, like... Better possession, the weird read for changelings or for Adine. Yep. I liked Zeitgeist. I thought Zeitgeist was fun, where you just like absorb all the local cultures and languages and everything, mm-hmm. and then walk the silver path. Discord is the one. If you remember, I think this might have been originally intended for Book of Houses too, as like a Belor battle art. This is this is the Dragon's Ire art from C twenty yeah. almost. Like it's it's not identical, but like. It's as close as the other arts are. <laughs> yeah, basically. But if you remember the back cover of Book of Houses 2 said they were introducing a new art. I think they had meant uh, to introduce it there. Maybe yep. it came in here. But yeah, absolutely. It does battle things. <laughs> yep. It starts off really strong, but honestly, by the time it gets to level 5, I'm like, that's it? You get yeah. better at cutting arms off. All right. Yeah, it's like the Dragon's Eye art in C20. Yeah. And then OGO Neuromancy. Oh, how I miss thee. It's a lot more restricted than what we get in C20, I've noticed. But yeah, I but like... C20 doesn't let you turn people into Chimera. Yes, level 5! Except for except for level 5, which turns... It's only worth it for level 5. <laughs> ...does not work on Denizens, Chimera, Thalane, or other creatures who are already fully spirit. I'm like, Thalane? I thought they were changelings. Well, I don't know. Anyway, the other powers are similar to C20, Oniromancy's, like, sending dreams, reading dreams, yeah. entering dreams... And there's a confusing little thing about the Fey Realm, and it's like, why are they using Fey 3 instead of Fey 4? Because they're Chimera and not Galene? I don't know. There's a lot to read into that. <laughs> but Chimera to each other. So for a denizen, a changeling would be Fey 3. Naturally. Maybe they felt Fey 4 was too high. I don't know. So yeah, I mean, overall, I don't know how much of this I would use, but it's a nice little bit of crunch. Mm-hmm. It's like a peanut in the middle of the candy bar. It's a very second edition chapter of arts and things like that. Yeah. Like I've definitely seen worse from the books we've been reviewing. So. <laughs> then chapter five for storytellers only. I hate when they say that. I get it, but I also don't. Yeah, I don't like that either. Though some of it needs to, the players need to know. So, so yeah. we get like how to run a game through mood and theme. I don't like that mystery is under both of them. <laughs> <laughs> but 
I like it, though, because the denizens, they say, are on the edge of infinite possibilities and hold the balance of power. And mystery is that uncertainty kind of aspect about Mm -hmm. what's going to happen. Whereas the theme, really discovery would probably be a better word than mystery as they kind of explore this state that they're in. Yeah. Do we get some brief chronicle ideas, which like are both straightforward and kind of obvious, but I think if you're going to write this much about it, it kind of makes sense to write this much. Their relations to others seem pretty confrontational overall. Uh, yeah, well, the the werewolf things, like, yeah. they look like Bane spirits, except for they're also, like, on the side of the gear. Okay. Uh... The ones that are most interesting to me, like, I think you can assume that with denizens and any other splat, the default position is going to be at odds with each other even sets it up as denizens versus everybody else but the ones that i think would be most interesting because you could complicate them there's no historical love loss between them and the changelings but there are denizens who don't want to be pawns of the fomorians anymore it's kind of like the good omens hook like oh we we actually like earth the way it is please don't Mm -hmm. destroy it you know yep that conflict with the Fomorians could then also be the makings of an alliance with changelings. And then Denizen versus Denizen, it would split them along the lines within their own kith, within their own Adin. So I think that kind of three-way, kind of viewing it from those three angles, it's the same story told in different interesting ways. More than the others, I think that's the kind of Denizen yep. game I'd want to run. Yeah, there's some stuff that was not like the denizens versus mages only talks about the technocracy. Yeah. And, and it's then, just confrontational. <laughs> and then denizens versus race. I know you haven't really read much race if any, but like there actually is some hooks they could have put in, but they didn't. Oh, I'm sure. It actually works better than with changelings because of all the dream connections, because there are wraiths, the Sandman who deal with human dreams and go into the dreams and do, that's yeah. a place that they could have been in interaction that's just not mentioned here. But but also, Wraith had ended by this point, so maybe they didn't want to rub salt in the wound. Yeah, but then they talk and still talk about it. So. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe it's, oh, the Maelstrom just wiped it out. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Then we get the Augman, which I'm was... I'm so glad this is back. <laughs> yeah, this is from Dreams and Nightmares. There is a big change here. Yes. Which I don't know was intentional or not, because they get Augman in the near dreaming. And they for sure do. Kithane, it starts in the far dreaming. I like how it really drives home that they have the reverse of the changeling experience, where they're used to being extraordinarily powerful in their natural habitat, and then coming to mm-hmm. Earth is like what dramatically weakens them. Yeah. So it's the inverse of how it usually goes in a game. Yeah. Some of these um, bumps are described as cumulative and others not, which gets a little Mm -hmm. confusing. And some don't happen at all. And some don't happen at all. But yeah, they get powerful. I chose a random example where I wanted to see what the Fua were like in the deep dreaming. So they have like satyr speed and athletics and whatever else. They can move 50 yards plus five times dexterity yards per turn in their chosen environment. So like if you say they have dex four and you set a combat turn at three seconds, they can get up to 230 kilometers per hour pretty <laughs> fast. And then they also get four dots of stamina and have natural weapons doing strength plus three aggravated damage. All of that is to say, eat it, Garu. So, yeah. yeah. Well, that's actually for, for Augman in the deep dreaming. That's not. Yeah. yeah deep dreaming. Top at all. Yeah. 
And then the Naraka are just like running around breathing aggravated damage, and the Firbolg can more or less warp reality as they want. So they get powerful. Someday I'm going to do those updated Augman rules for the Storyteller's Vault. Yeah, the Moray are kind of screwed in the Deep Dreaming. Anyway, <laughs> they don't get much benefit in really screwed. They're okay with that. They have a sense of duty. Mm-hmm. Let me get some st- stuff on the Fomorians. And another reference to the Book of the Crimson She, which we saw in Midnight Circus. I did not pull out dreams and nightmares to compare the Fomorian descriptions with this, because we had a bit in there, didn't we? I don't think we need to, because yeah. I think when I think about the Fomorian stuff, this is my go-to mm-hmm. reference. It's certainly more developed, I think. There's a suggestion that they are the ones perpetuating the darkness and the world of darkness, because they are the sum total of all that is dark and murderous in the human heart, in contrast to the Tuaho, who are humanity's highest aspirations, rather than its darkest fears. It raises the question, if the Fomorians were truly defeated instead of just shut away and slumbering, what would that leave behind? And I suspect it would be like a very banal, happy place. Like everything is perfect mm. and there's no there's no dynamism to it without that little sliver of darkness. But, you think, um, like, if, is the Tawaha and the Danan were still there? or I guess we'll have to get to Time of Judgment yep. and see. <laughs> We get the note again here that the Dark can resent their masters, former masters in some cases, just as much as the Changelings resent the Shi or the Tuaha because they were used as soldiers and then abandoned. But the Elder Darks are gathering the ones who are still faithful. Yep. We get descriptions of the three courts, which, weirdly, the first two completely match really well from Dresden Files, the two, <laughs> vampire, two of the vampire courts. <laughs> I always think of the White Court as the gentry from Changeling the Lost. Yep. But I guess they could fit into any of these. They're very corrupting and... Cruel. Yep. The red court are, like, raw. Yeah, the war machines. And then the green court are my favorite. They're the weird, creepy things that don't make any sense, who deliberately, like, imprison themselves at the end of the war for no apparent reason. I think of them as Cthulhu creatures or Celestials from Marvel Comics. I also like the thought that they own the Silver Path. And the Silver Path is actually a path of Balor, and when they awake, it will be theirs. Because yeah. they live under the Silver Sea. Anyway. <laughs> Sleep well, childlings. Yeah, if you think about where the paths of Balor go, well, then there's the gold path. They don't... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, wait, only one of them colors matches up? I don't know. There's also okay. the Black Court, potentially, so. Yeah. Thinking about it, all of this really demonstrates how there are two different kinds of winter that changelings worry about because you have mm. sort of the petrifying horror of dark glamour and then the stultifying horror of banality. And mm-hmm. the two get conflated a lot, yep. but they're actually rather different. Co-occurring, maybe. I mean, the white court's closest to both. Yeah. Still... Well, the red court are like the dreams of destruction and conquering, and there's arguments that there's a lot of banality from that historically in the books. One thing I keep thinking about, my own ideas and stuff, like, how do the courts get along with each other? Like, is it about as good as the Seelie and Unseelie, or even worse? Or is it more tight than that? I imagine probably not very close until they need to be, such as when they were fighting the War of the Trees. Yep. But then the appendix, we have some famous faces. There's Anastadal, who's the best one. Yep, the Fearbog, whose people think might be a she or something, or a troll or something. Yes. And I first look at her hat, I'm like, where's her horns fitting? And I'm like, oh, it's coming out of her helmet, but it looks yeah. like it's sort of part of it. It's a well-designed helm. Mm-hmm. There's King Azag, who I assume is supposed to be the same as Azag from the prelude, that Fearbulg warlord. 
who's been around since the war. The description does not match, though, from the... Maybe it's his father. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But he's still around for, since the War of the Trees. And... Yeah. No love for changelings. Then there's uh, the Big Pharma evil thing. Who's controlling Big, Big Pharma. Big Pharma former Nazi doctor? Yeah. Yeah. Moving on, there's Queen Lear. She's basically the White Witch from Narnia. Yep. Like, Fearbug would have made sense for her. But... Yeah, but I guess she occasionally frenzies and uh, freezes people yep. solid. There's Lord Udri, which is the leader of the Naraka who did not get completely mind-wiped by the explosion, although did really get messed up psychologically. And still lives at the ground zero. Yep. Tukil, the Shadow Knight, who walks the black paths of Balor as yeah. a Karamet. This made me wonder, like, do Karamet not age? Like, talk about the other denizens aging, but, like, would Karamet age? They're ghosts. That I, I guess not, yeah. I mean... Mm-hmm. But he's been... Because he's described as being around since, like, Court of Charlemagne or something. Like, he died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He broke his oath of fealty for a fae woman. They say he's the leader of L'Armée Furieuse, which I think is, like, the French version of the Wild Hunt. Mm-hmm. There's a Baylor in here. Haroth the Mute. Like, the other Baylor do not like him and want him. <laughs> When House Baylor says, you've gone too far, buddy, like, yeah, but... <laughs> but he's an interesting foe because he's been in the Dreaming for thousands of years. He served the Fomorians and he's still fighting to control the plane of Kuraksara. But then he's disappeared and he might be in the Autumn World and he might be unaffected by the mists. And all of that together is like, hmm, interesting. And then they talk about the Aslithi, which are those spider people that was one of my favorite parts of... Uh, Harbingers of Winter. Yeah. We should include a link to Harbingers of Winter in the show notes because that's like a sequel to this book in part. Yeah, well, we did the episode, didn't we? Yes, yeah, that's, that's what I mean. Okay, yeah. Listen to that episode. They have warriors and priests, they worship the Fomorians, they have web trods, and they do lots of torture and magic. Go them. Yeah. They're the denizens, denizens, is how I think of it. Yes. Creepy, mysterious to the denizens. So the Triumph Cask of Sorrows. A weapon of unspeakable power, even unopened, its effects were immense, raining poison and fire down upon its bearer's enemies as they sought to stand against him. Rumors of its power, when opened, speak of the utter annihilation of foes, instantaneously rendering them nothing more than ash. It is said that there are no defenses against the cask's powers. Though the Red Fomorian king broke the cask's key into nine fragments, rumor tells that some have been reassembled, and with each, another calamity threatens. Two key fragments have been assembled, Two Fomorian courts now awaken. I, at first when I read that, I'm like, does that mean there's nine Fomorian courts? <laughs> That's like the breaking of the seals in Revelation. Yeah, but if you get the first three and all three Fomorian courts awaken, and there's still six more, what are you doing for those last six? Like, yeah. So I've never been one for the idea of like a high concept war against the Fomorians game, but there are some great pieces in here for anyone who wants to run such a thing. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we'll get to this eventually, but the Triumph Cask was supposed to return as a MacGuffin. Yeah. And then my physical copy had an ad for Mage, Sorcerer's Crusade, the Swashbuckler's Handbook. Woo! And Warren Concordia. Coming soon. There's also a character sheet where it's all well and good, except the formatting. Oh. But they didn't, like, I don't know, give it myth lore or... No, no, the rest is fine. The actual content is fine. It's just all the spacing issues. Oh, but it doesn't have the new things that they added. Okay. It has Arya up top. No, it doesn't have the three lores, though. Uh, well, those are secondaries, I suppose. Mm-hmm. 
There's also a, a really cool icon on the back cover. I must yes, say. I love that icon. So yeah, uh, what are your overall thoughts of this book? I think I like the Athene as a concept in part because they open up a lot of questions, some of which are later answered in C20, but things like mm-hmm. what do they imply for the existence of the other non-changeling kiths in the dreaming? Will others make their way to Earth? Again, there's that hook of some of the denizens like Earth and they don't want the Fomorians to take it over, so what do they do? Fish out of water narrative possibilities combined mm. with, um, I guess, the sort of confusion and animosity of the Kithane who live on Earth being like, who are you and what are you doing here? So that combination, I think, makes for an interesting story. In terms of functionality, I think they do actually mix more readily with Kithane, either in a motley or in mm-hmm. Kithane society than like Thalane would as a general rule or Xian or an anime. Like I can yeah. see more connections between the goals and the experiences of the denizens with the Kithane, but they add this unpredictability. That's really cool. But the book isn't only about them because it's also a sequel to dreams and nightmares. So I like that we get sort of yeah. more meta plot updates and more in-depth stuff about the dreams and nightmares things even despite like the inconsistencies, there's yeah. so many ideas that are usable. Yeah. For, for me, this is book. It had amazing potential and what we got was okay. Like there, there's enough problems with it, but it's kind of frustrating partly because there's so much good stuff too. It's, mm-hmm. it's, I wish there was like somebody revamped this <laughs> and like, I'd use it as inspiration for what I do in my Chronicle, but I wouldn't directly take much of anything from here into my Chronicle, if that makes sense. I mean, I think part of that, you have to think about page count and just the fact that when you only have so much room and so much... Oh, oh, given the constraints, especially like the time constraints, the budget, they probably didn't get paid a ton to make it. Like, I get that, but oh, I wish it was made under a better budget and better, like, it would have been... It sparks enough ideas in me that I'm willing to pick up the slack, if that makes sense. Okay, this is going to say, okay, so I brought up uh, Exalted the Fair Folk before. Yeah. There's so many things in here that, like, I like better in Exalted the Fair Folk, but it's, Hmm. I I think it was inspired by this somehow. But yeah, there's so many things in here. I'm like, Exalted the Fair Folk actually has a lot of things that mechanically work even better for the denizens than they do for Kithane. Well, we'll get to it. We'll get to that one. But it's just, yeah, I... I'm glad it exists, but I, yeah. I could have liked it so much more. Like, honestly, I didn't think I would like it as much as I did on this read-through. It was yeah, one of same. the first Changeling books that I ever bought because it mm-hmm. came out not long after I started playing. So it was like the new one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I read it at the time. I've, I've flipped through it since then. I've used it a couple times, but it, it didn't stick in my head as like actually one of the books that I would probably like more than most of the others for that. This came out while I was... I think just as I went away to university mm. and I'd sort of left behind like the LARP that I'd been plating for a few years had ended and things like that. So it was, I yeah. brought it, I'm like, Oh, this will be amazing. And then like started actually talking to people online with it. And I started, and then I tried to use it in a game a few years later. And I'm like, Oh, this is, <laughs> this is hard. Did the idea never actually make it into shining host? The shining host player's guide. I would have to go look. Well, we'll get there too. Yep. So we have three questions. Louis Armander asks, how would you update the Fear Bulk for C20? Well, they are in C20, but as the discussion on the Discord talked about, I think we need mechanics for the Fearless to really make their birthright sing, if that makes sense. 
Plus there's the, the part that they can essentially call on the weird to have it happen in the real world. I would bring that back if they're going to have the one birthright, two frailties again. If it is kept dreaming only, I would cut the hunger piece. And give well, them if you want an entire deep mechanical subsystem, we will be looking at that when we get to Exalted the Fair Focus ideas. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Something about the Fear Bulg with their frailty where they need sacrifices to get glamour, that opens up the door for all kinds of like Fear Bulg yep. cult on Earth that the Cathane have to shut down stories. Oh yeah, so. I love that. Having that with the feeding restriction, though, feels a little bit over the top. Yeah. <laughs> It's like both are fine, but they don't need to be in the same kids necessarily. But I mean, it's it's the kind of thing where you've got like a red cap and a slua and a satyr investigating some weird glamour goings on, and they kick down a door, and there they find this eight foot tall antlered warlord who's telling his followers, "Like I can only answer your prayers if you bring me steakums." So, yep. sorry, what? Bring what? Steakums. It's a brand of frozen meat oh, <laughs> south of the border. That's what we eat. Oh, okay. Actually, sorry, I should have asked. What would you do to the Fearbulg? No, that's pretty close. Yeah, I'd, I'd need to nail down. I agree with you on the birthright. It's just making it work without it being an entire yeah. chapter full of mechanical subsystem kits. Yeah, yeah. If if we already had solid mechanics for it, it would be so much easier to assess. Yeah. But we don't. Yeah. So. I love them, though. I like so many of these kits. Like, yeah. The Akiri, they're just two one-note villain, but the rest of them, I like, so. So then Count Clockwise asks, how would you approach the Autumn Way art in C20? Like I said, I think it could be largely kept the same as an art for Sentient Chimera. So if they don't have the weird read and they want to visit, like, they could use that. I might replace a couple powers, like, um, yeah. I might have opening a trod be one of them, or, like, creating a dreaming shallowing instead of the reality's horror one. Mm-hmm. It's very yeah. You'd have to update it like you would any other art that didn't yeah to C twenty. But possible future storytellers vault project. Yep, yeah. it'd still be useful for the denizens, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. A mannequin with it. Yeah, that'd be handy. Luna Andromeda Vebe asks, "What is the best type of denizen, and why is it the caramet?" I'm torn between loving the more the caramet and the fear bug and if you ask me like a different i keep flipping between which yeah. ones are my favorite i like all of them really even though they said they curious kind of one note but like i use them as villains for sure so it's for me just... i think it's i think it's the own it's the fur and the fear bulk for me like that's the yeah. i can't decide I, I don't really care for the caramel i'll be honest mm. and maybe it's because i'm not a wraith player <laughs> but i think it, part of it is because they open up more questions than they answer that aren't resolved in the book. Like, yeah, what like exactly it. is the process for how they become Karamet? What exactly are they supposed to be doing? Is it different for all of them? I don't know. Yeah. But it, it opens up a lot of story hooks about mortals and fae, about fae and wraiths. Actually, now that I think about it, though, like, Karamet and Moray do have the problem that I'm less sure how to make them PCs hmm. because they're so mission-based at their own mission. It's like, how would... Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think I'd want to play one. Mm-hmm. But they would make good storyteller characters. Yep. So, if I can have Kermit the Frog as a Karamet, I would go with that. Kermit the Karamet. Karamet the Frog. So, uh, is that enough to say about the Dark again? For now. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Take yeah. us out, Josh. Yeah. So you can uh, find us uh, at changelingthepodcast.com. You can send us an email, podcast at changelingthepodcast.com. You can send us a toot, changelingpod at dice.camp. Follow our Facebook page, which is starting getting a lot more 
people talking in comments and stuff on it. Um, yeah, change like the podcast. You can join our Discord server, which is also getting way more people talking on Woo-hoo. it. That's uh, discord.me slash CTP. There we go. Yeah. And all the links will be in our show notes. As always. Once again, I'm Josh. My Aria is currently in Puka. Dang it. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's fine. We've done some research and uncovered the identities of the other six courts of the Fomorians that will wake in tandem with the remaining pieces of the key to the Triumph Cask of Sorrows being found. First, the Diabolical Black Court will awaken at the beginning of Evernight. The Yellow Court rises in madness when the fourth wall of the game is terminally broken. Their two counterparts, the mysterious Seyan Court and the alien Magenta Court, will make their appearance when all Storyteller Vault supplements are available for print-on-demand. The citrically refreshing Octarine Court is roused by puns and satire, and at last, when the key is complete and the apocalyptic cask opened, the Golden Court will come together to remind us that Arcadia is just the friends we made among the Fae. Of course, this vision of a Fomorian-dominated future is perhaps a bit too optimistic, but we'll continue soothsaying out the possibilities with support from listeners like you, and in particular, our patrons, Derek, Dorkadus, Oreo, Roscaboos, Sandjigger, Seija, Terry Robinson, and Tricerabeth. If you sign up at www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast, you too can receive sweet bennies, including a shout-out like that at the end of each episode. Please also consider leaving us a review on the podcast listening platform of your greatest convenience, or telling your possessed sleepwalking friends and allies about our show. Remember to always wear red, and never try to outshine your jealous muse. Until next time, keep on dreaming.